Well, good morning. Thanks again for being here. Glad to be together. So, this week begins the Advent season. Uh, It is a preparation for Christmas, a time when we remember Jesus' birth. But uh, Christmas, for many of us, is this season is kind of chaotic, right? Between all the Black Friday shopping we have to do, all the Cyber Monday shopping we have to do, uh, all the activity getting ready for Christmas, and all the things that we do in this season, sometimes it feels a little chaotic, a little bit wild. And so Advent is a season in which we get to uh, pause. Advent means to wait, and so it represents both the time that Israel was waiting upon their Savior to come, the birth of Jesus, so we remember that during the season, uh, but also a season in which we get to remember that Jesus came and Jesus is coming again. So that is a season of Advent. We pause and we focus on a number of central themes in Scripture, and so today we talk about the subject of love. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the word love, right? It might be a subject that seems a little bit overdone, and yet it's one of the very reasons we take time and pause to reflect upon it. Uh, My prayer is that today we can find something anew in this conversation, uh, and that it prompts us to lean in to, to Jesus, to remember his love, that he came and that he's coming again. So how would you define love? I was reading an article this week on uh, just a secular popular um, uh, website, psychologytoday.com, on the subject of love. And here's their definition. Uh, there's probably some things you'll love in it, and there might be some things we're like, I don't know, that might not be right. Uh, love is a force of nature. However much we may want to, we cannot command, demand, or take away love any more than we can command the moon and the stars and the wind and the rain to come and go according to our whims. Love is bigger than you are. You can invite love, but you cannot dictate how, when, or where love expresses itself. You can choose to surrender to love or not, but in the end, love strikes like lightning, unpredictable and irrefutable. You can even find yourself loving people you don't like at all. All right, right? I hear some chuckles. We got some some good in there and some things that to me seem a little bit shallow, a little bit weak. Uh, Albert Einstein uh, was quoted as saying this, um, you can't blame gravity for love which is a pretty pertinent quote. I like that. A little bit witty. So uh, we, we deal lightly with the subject of love quite often, right? It's kind of superficial. Uh, we describe it as uh, an attraction or a feeling that we have. And while I think that is included in the subject of love, I want to take some time today to dig into Scripture and explore the, what love how love is represented throughout the text. So in the, um, in the New Testament, uh, written originally in Greek, uh, there were two primary words used for love. Uh, phileo, which is kind of the concept that we were talking about of falling in love. It's that feeling, that emotion, that desire. Uh, and that's used 22 times in the New Testament, this, this term for love, phileo. Uh, the other term, the, most broadly used, uh, agape, is found 341 times in the New Testament, and agape is, is spoken of in every single book of the New Testament. And agape refers to um, a love uh, that is selfless or godly in nature. 
Uh, a love that seeks the interest of other people. A love that reflects God's love for us. A love that is not just a feeling, but is put into action. So throughout the New Testament, we read of this agape, kind of brotherly, kind, uh, affection towards other people sort of love. It's interesting to me that love can be used both as a noun and a verb, in that I say that love uh, is a state of the heart, right? It's a feeling, yes, it's those sorts of things, but throughout Scripture, it speaks of love as a verb, love as an action. Uh, if if uh, you were around and listening to Christian music, you remember DC Talk's song, right? Love is a verb, um, uh, and, and they're on to something there. Throughout Scripture, yes, it's spoken of in terms of a noun, but quite often, love is referred to in terms of action, in terms of a way of engaging. Now, uh, Jesus, at one point in his ministry, he's uh, tested by the Pharisees. They come to him and they say, so what is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, at this time, uh, thousands of years into Israel's journey and story, uh, the Pharisees have established thousands of laws now. And Jesus is supposed to pick the one, right? What is the greatest? And they want to they catch him in saying the wrong thing. He answers in this way. He says, uh, love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. Now, you might not know this was a live conversation in Israel. Uh, many people were debating, so what is the greatest commandment? What's central to it? And Jesus gave the right answer, the answer that the majority of the people would come to. But he doesn't stop there. He says the greatest commandment is love God. That's what he was asked for. But he goes on to say, but the second is like it, right? He's going to jump in with another uh, commandment that he says, but if you forget this one, you're not getting the old law. You're not getting uh, the, the wholeness of the law. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus pairs this uh, statement of love your neighbor as yourself with the story of a good Samaritan. And now the Samaritans were the despised people of the day. And Jesus' description of this despised person being the good, loving, and right person in the narrative that he tells unequivocally, let me use a different word, without doubt, (laughs) love that, I thought about that earlier and thought, I'm not going to pronounce that right, Um, without a doubt, calls us to realize that our neighbor and the people we are to love is not just those easy to love, not just those that we are closest to and have feelings of affection for. Throughout Scripture, love is described uh, towards many people and in many different ways. It's um, spoken of in terms of relationships, uh, specifically marriage relationships and loving a spouse. It's spoken of um, uh, for those outside of our circle of either our church family or our family or those that are closest to us. Uh, we're challenged, as we mentioned earlier and in multiple places, to love our neighbor and even to love our enemies. Now, if we were to take a definition that revolves around lightning striking and this moment that you are in love, there would be no context in which we would consider uh, loving 
a neighbor or someone that we didn't really know. There would be no context in which we would consider loving an enemy because lightning doesn't strike and all of a sudden I love an enemy. So the the terms of love in Scripture are much broader. But I do want to point us to one theme on love in the New Testament that's significant. Uh, A majority of the conversation of love in Scripture is geared towards the body of believers. This growing group of Christian people, this growing group of people that have witnessed and have come to believe in a risen Savior, Jesus, who are now gathering in houses throughout Israel and spreading out into other nations. And throughout Scripture, it speaks of the importance of love amongst these people. And we'll see a little bit more of that as we go on. So we're challenged, yes, to love within our Christian community, but we're challenged to love far beyond the walls of our church buildings or our social networks that we run in so often. And I don't know, sometimes it just seems a little bit impossible. Does it ever feel that way to you? And in fact, if I could throw another caution out there, uh, for some of us, the idea of love is just kind of abstract, right? It doesn't take on any meat, but it's just kind of this word that we throw around, and I, I think that's generally how we use that word. Uh, but for, for me, uh, or for some of us, we find ourselves, I don't know, um, how do I say this? Uh, the emotion of love is just not a prominent thing in life. And for others others of us, this emotion, this feeling of love uh, that we have is overwhelming and sometimes draws us into unhealthy or toxic or dangerous situations, right? And, and so love can go in many directions and, and, and be experienced in many different ways. So let's dig in a little bit to Scripture and and see how we can come to maybe a more rounded understanding of what is this love that we're invited to reflect on in this Advent season. First of all, love is a gift from God. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, uh, it's talking about this transformation in our lives. Um, we, we've been talking since we begin church planning about this flow of belong, believe, become, and in that order. So creating a place of belonging that wherever someone's at in their faith journey or their walk of life, this is a place of belonging. We believe that's the way Jesus operated and engaged the world around him. Um, And in this community, we explore who is Jesus and what does it look like to follow him. And many of us have come to a, a point of belief in life, saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is my Savior and my Lord. And um, and then we talk about this beautiful transformational work of becoming the people we were created to be, that God is doing a remarkable work of transformation in our lives. And in Galatians chapter 5, uh, it speaks to this concept. It speaks to the fruit of the Spirit, referring to uh, the things that the Spirit is producing in us, the transformation that is taking place. Uh, in contrast to so much of the anger or hurt or negativity that I experience in life previously, the Spirit is um, is investing in me things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, it, it says in Galatians 5, and it starts with this idea that the Spirit is investing in us love, that the Spirit is producing in us love. You know, for me, the emotion and feeling of love uh, sometimes feels a little bit foreign. And yet, as I was reflecting on this subject this week, 
it occurred to me that it ought not to to be or to feel like such a foreign thing in life because God has demonstrated uh, through Jesus and the Holy Spirit and in my life love in remarkable ways. So I want to take a minute to look today in the Advent season as we approach a season that we are in the season where we remember Jesus' birth. I want to look at the life of Jesus in the context of love. I want to take a few minutes and just explore how does love play out in Jesus. Uh, And we'll begin with this. In love, Jesus was sent into the world. So here in a few weeks uh, at our Christmas service, you know, we'll have the kids participating in a nativity scene, and we'll remember this moment that Jesus was born into the world. And all of this, an act of love. I want to look at 1 John chapter 4, 7. Uh, and following, and it's a beautiful text, every piece of this. I mean, we could spend the whole morning on this text. We'll be brief, but look at it with me. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our, our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This must be one of the most beautifully penned pieces of Scripture, parts of Scripture. Let us love one another because love comes from God, because God is love. Multiple places in Scripture, God is defined in these terms, God is love. And here's the promise that's made here in 1 John, that God's love lives in us, And we are able to share and demonstrate love because of what he has invested in us. God is love. So love one another because that love that we share together comes from God. And this is how he showed his love. And this is where I say love should not be such an abstract concept sometimes in my life because I should be moved in my spirit when I come to consider the idea that God showed his love by sending his son into the world. Further, Jesus chose a sacrificial posture in life in which he was willing to give himself for us. This is love that God would sacrifice, that Jesus would sacrifice for our sake. And he clarifies, it's not that we loved God. No, it it began the other way around. God loved us so deeply that he would send his son that we now in turn get to reciprocate the love that he has given to us. It says no one has ever seen God uh, face to face. You know, I, I have seen so much of the work spirit, the Spirit's work in my life, uh, but never seen God face to face. And this is a, a challenging point to faith for many people. I, I don't get to see God, and it's hard to uh, really wrap my head around God and these deeper, vast concepts that we see in Scripture. But he says this, so though you haven't seen God, if you love one another— If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. 
Are you, are you catching a glimpse of this idea that God is love, and in experiencing God's love, in reciprocating love in the world, we experience and come to know God more fully? You know, I think this is a fascinating concept. I come to know God more fully um, when I experience and reciprocate love in life. And I think that's true. Here's where my mind went as I was considering that concept this week. What's the antithesis of love? What's the opposite of love? It's hate, right? And when we look around the world or examine our own lives and the experiences we've had, uh, what, what is the result of hate? It's violence, and it's evil, and it's all sorts of negative and perverse things in this world. And so the opposite of that love, well, what is the result of love? Like, what is the source of love? It makes so much sense to me that in experiencing and reciprocating love in this world, I will come to know God more fully. Instead of the evil and the hurt produced by hate, we will begin to know hope and peace and goodness in this world. In experience and reciprocating love, I believe we come to know God more fully, as the author in 1 John said. So, uh, in love, Jesus was sent into the world. Secondly, in love, Jesus saw people that engaged, uh, saw people and engaged in the lives of people in the world. Now, uh, again, we've, we've mentioned it's easy to love the people that we just have this feeling of love towards, but that's not the way Jesus operated. Jesus was very intentional about loving the marginalized, the people at the you know, outskirts of society, the people that have been pushed out and do not have a voice for themselves. Um, Jesus was very intentional about loving marginalized people. And uh, this interesting concept came uh, across my computer screen as I was studying and and considering this week. Um, I've always thought it fascinating that Jesus, when he would heal a leper, instead of just saying, be healed, he would at times reach out and touch this person with a debilitating skin disease. That's a gesture of love, of, of intimacy. Um, it always fascinated me that Jesus, uh, well, his apostles and his followers are, are shooing the kids away, uh, unimportant people in Israelite society. They're like, he's a busy man, get out of his way. Jesus would get, get down and he would place a child on his knee that they could see each other eye to eye, that a child could be elevated to his same level. And I'm like, how and why did Jesus so intentionally engage marginalized people in the world around him? And this occurred to me, Jesus himself was an incredibly marginalized person. He was born in a little nowhere in Israel, a a despised region, He began his ministry, and so much of it happened out in the outskirts of Israel. He called his apostles, and they were like fishermen, not elite scholarly people that a rabbi would normally call. Jesus lived, experienced life in the margins, and eventually when his ministry culminates in Jerusalem, the hub of Israel, what do they do? They drag him outside the city, out to the outskirts of the, of the region, and they hung him on a cross. Like, what story more encompasses um, 
a marginalized person than that of Jesus. And so Jesus, in his life, engaged intentionally in the lives of hurting and marginalized people. He was incredibly intentional about seeing people and engaging people precisely where they are. And yet, in the end, as Jesus is here in Jerusalem speaking with the religious leaders that are soon going to hang him on a cross, um, he, uh, he, he lashes out in a sense. You can read more of it in Matthew 23, but uh, seven times he says, woe to you, Israel, woe to you, Jerusalem. Like, uh, you should be grieving because of the things that you've done. And he calls them out for all these sorts of things. But in Matthew 23, 37, he ends this, uh, this speech, this conversation with this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You have killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Like Jesus, in this moment of passionate rage, like this moment of anger against all the injustice that religion was doing in Israel at this time, he says, but here's my heart's desire to gather you into my nest, to gather you un- under my wing as a mother hen gathers her chicks. This is the love of Jesus, that to the very people that would have him crucified soon, he says, but here's my heart's desire, to gather you in and to care for you. So uh, we see love demonstrated in Jesus coming into the world. We see love demonstrated in the way Jesus engaged in the world. And finally, uh, it is in love that Jesus would give his life. Um, There's this uh, beautiful passage, uh, John 13, and uh, it says this, Jesus speaking to his apostles again shortly before he'll be crucified, and he says, you know, you know all those 2,000-some commands that you already have as Israelites? He says, okay, but here's my one command. Um, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down their life for a friend. He says, love like I have loved, and soon you will know the depth of my love, and that I will give my life for your sake and for the world's sake. So love, it is more than a feeling. In the life of Jesus, we see that love takes on flesh, that love takes action in the world around it, not just for those it's easiest to, but love takes action for those that are hurting and marginalized. Love is sacrificial. Love is more than a feeling. It is a way of being. It is a way of living in this world. 1 Corinthians 13 is this beautiful passage, um, and you might have heard part of it like at a wedding you were at or at your own wedding. It's a familiar text, uh, but it's remarkable and beautiful, and, and so I want to I wanna give it a moment in our time today. 1 Corinthians 13, it's going to be speaking of all these vast and beautiful gifts and things that people can do in the church, but everything will be weighed against the subject of love. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, 
and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Right? So of all the beautiful and remarkable things I can do in this world, if it's not motivated by God, if it's not motivated by his love, it's shallow. And he goes on to describe love for us. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. As I reflect on these different attributes of love, it's patient, it's kind, it's not envious or boastful, it's not proud. I reflect on my life and I ask, where in my life has, have I not allowed God to so permeate my being that in the place of boasting or envy, I'm not experiencing the joy, the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness that the Spirit is trying to infuse in my life. Love is a beautiful thing. Love is more than a feeling, but a way of being in this world. Love is what roots us in the way of Jesus. Of all the good acts we could do in the world, what roots us in walking in the way of Jesus and participating in the things God is doing in this world? I think, according to 1 Corinthians 13, it is love. When we engage out of love, we participate in the things that God is doing in the world. So, Having experienced God's love, uh, we love others out of the overflow in life. Uh, we are not the origins of love. We don't create it within ourselves and give it to someone else. The biblical narrative says that God, um, God gives us such love that it overflows out of our lives into the lives of others. Um, sometimes living a life of love and engaging in the world out of this love that we have been given, uh, it's going to take on remarkable, uh, a remarkable nature. It's going to be world-changing events. And sometimes living a life of love, living in the way of Jesus, will look much simpler. Mother Teresa said this, um, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. What do you think about that? It's so simple in nature. This is Mother Teresa, who had a worldwide impact in the work she did in India, in just the transformational things she was a part of. And people would come to her to learn from her, and they looked up to her. I mean, oh my goodness, this woman, Mother Teresa. And they would come to her, and she would say, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. How beautiful is the simplicity sometimes in these subjects that are so grand, so vast, that I don't even know where to begin. Well, let's start with where we're at. What does it look like to love in the relationships in which we live? What does it look like to experience the love of God in a church community? What does it look like to demonstrate God's love for other people in the Tri-Cities and around us? I'll tell you... um, I think I've learned more from my children than I've taught them so far in their life, and I'm going to try to rectify that when they're 30 or 35 years old. But for now, they're teaching me a lot, 
And when I think about um, love, uh, I, I, you know, again, I say it's kind of an abstract concept in my life. Uh, but this uh, was kind of a demonstration of love for me that meant a lot. Um, I'm laying under my Jeep here. Uh, I'm covered in grease and working. And my daughters, years ago, you can see they're quite a bit younger, uh, but they're just laying there watching, wanting to engage in that process. And I think about these sorts of scenarios and place myself in the position of a child, the child of God, just wondering how often do I find myself so engrossed and amazed by the work that God is doing around us that I just sit and watch and I ask, hey, can I get in there? Can I be a part of that? God is a God of love, and he, you, you can roll past that because it'll get distracting eventually. Thank you. Um, God is a God of love, and he is doing remarkable things in this world. And today in this Advent season, we consider the subject of love. We're not the origin of love. It doesn't begin with us. God has already loved us, and God has demonstrated his love for us in sacrificial ways. We are invited instead to, to receive the love of God, to begin to reciprocate it in the world around us. God is love. Love is an experience and a gift from God, and we are invited to embrace love as a way of living and being in this world. So today and throughout the Advent season, we're going to take communion at the end of uh, our service together. Um, And communion is a time that we get to remember uh, what Jesus has done for us. Communion is a time that we take the bread and we dip it in the grape juice. And we remember his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. We remember that he loved so deeply that he would give of himself for our sake, that he would give himself for our sake. And so today, as we begin to close out, um, Sally and Giovanna are, are going to lead us in some singing. And you're welcome, as, as they begin here in just a minute, uh, to stand up and take communion. It's available on either side of the auditorium here. Uh, if that's not something you're familiar with or, or do not want to participate in, that's absolutely okay. But here in just a minute, we're all going to stand, and anyone that would like to is welcome to reflect on the love of God as demonstrated in Jesus as we take communion together. Together this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for this day. Thank you for your love. Uh, God, in my life and maybe in the lives of all of us, um, I just pray that you will open eyes to see, uh, to understand, to experience the love that you have for us. And Father, may your love for us inspire us to new ways of being, to new ways of living, uh, that we could reciprocate the love that you've given us. Thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice and an opportunity to remember it together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we remember love. Uh, that God has loved us, that Jesus sacrificed himself in love, that he lived a life of love, and that we are invited to live into the kind of love that God has and the Spirit is um, is giving to us. So today, uh, in the second week for us of Advent, uh, we light a candle remembering love. I'll close today with this benediction, these final words. So may we know love May we be filled with the love of God.
And may God's love overflow our cup and into the lives of others. Friends, thanks for joining us and have a blessed week.